Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. First story at the top of Antiwar.com today, Congress agrees on $12 billion in new Ukraine aid. So congressional negotiators have agreed to include nearly $12 billion in new spending on the war in Ukraine in a stopgap spending bill that will likely be voted on this week. And this is according to a report from Reuters. And it was also reported in several other outlets. Uh, sources told Reuters that the $12 billion will include $4.5 billion in funding for arms being sent to Ukraine and $2.7 billion for other military and intelligence support for Ukraine. The funding also includes $4.5 billion in direct budgetary aid for the Ukrainian government. Now, that's aid that they send just directly to the Ukrainian government. Uh, which is you know notoriously corrupt. It's something that people used to talk about a lot more before Russia invaded on February 24th. And it was always a reason why the EU and NATO said that they wouldn't accept Ukraine was because of their corruption. They always say they have to crack down on corruption. We're sending them all these billions. Uh, a source told the Associated Press that the stopgap bill is meant to fund the federal government through the U.S. federal government. <laughs> so this is going to be included in a, a funding bill. Uh, it's supposed to fund the government through mid-December, and it could be brought to the Senate for a vote as soon as Tuesday evening. The funds for Ukraine largely fall in line with a request made by President Biden. The White House has asked Congress to authorize $11.7 billion in spending for Ukraine and for an additional $2 billion for energy spending, to offset the cost of the sanctions campaign against Moscow. Uh, now let's do a little math here. If the measure is passed, it will bring the total U.S. expenditures for the war in Ukraine to about $65.6 billion, including the $2 billion in this energy spending that Biden's also asking for, which I think should probably be included because it's related to, uh, to the war and the sanctions. It brings the total to $67.6 billion. To put that figure in perspective, now this, remember, this is not even a full year, uh, really, of spending. Um, to put the figure in perspective, Russia's entire annual military budget for 2021 was $65.9 billion. So this new aid will bring U.S. spending on the war to over Russia's entire military budget. Now, it's not exactly comparable because the U.S. spending, it's not just for military uh, spending. It also includes, um, you know, this budgetary aid for the Ukrainian government, economic assistance, humanitarian aid, um, spending money on giving money to the Pentagon to pay for troop deployments in Eastern Europe. But still, I think that that figures just really is incredible how much the U.S. is spending on this war compared to Russia's military budget. Um, so this 11 point Sorry, this $12 billion that Congress is going to include in this bill, it's not going to last very long. Uh, it's When requesting the funds, the White House said that it was needed for the first three months of the 2023 fiscal year, which starts on October 1st for the federal government. And Ukraine is preparing. Um, so it's going to be last for three months is the idea. So we might see the Biden administration ask for another major military uh, aid package for Ukraine. A major aid bill, like we saw uh, Biden signed a $40 billion bill in uh, in May. And the original 
funds to to support this war were included in a omnibus spending bill that Biden signed way back in March. That that the original initial spending was 3.6 billion, then the 40 billion, and now 12 billion. Um, and I mean, it's just an astronomical amount of money that they're spending on this war. And Ukraine is preparing to launch more counteroffensives next year and has asked the U.S. to provide more advanced weaponry. So they're deliberating on what they're going to be sending Ukraine. You know, what's next? What's the next, next escalation in military aid? And U.S. support for this proxy war on Russia's border is entering extremely dangerous, dangerous territory as Russian President Vladimir Putin has warned that Moscow could defend its territorial integrity with nuclear weapons. And Russia's territory is set to expand into Ukraine as referendums are being held in Russia-controlled areas right now. And they're set to be finished on Tuesday. So those territories could join Russia real soon. And then you'll have Ukraine using U.S. and NATO-provided weapons and intelligence to launch these attacks on territory that Russia will consider its own. So they're really laying the groundwork uh, and making it clear that they're not really going to tolerate this uh, this type of support for much longer, I think, is the message Putin is trying to send. Um, all right, so the next one, more money for Ukraine. <laughs> the U.S. announced on Monday a $457.5 million aid package for Ukraine for civilian security assistance, is what they call it, and it will go toward Ukrainian law enforcement agencies. So this isn't. Uh, this is still being pulled from that forty billion dollar Ukraine aid bill, um, but this is kind of a new thing. I haven't seen them announce anything like this throughout the war. It's going to Ukraine's police force and border force, and uh, according to Blinken, this brings the total of this type of aid that the U.S. has committed committed to Ukraine to six hundred and forty five million since last December. So they gave them some of this aid before the war. Uh, before the current war uh, in Ukraine, because there was a war going on in the Donbass for eight years before Russia invaded. Um, but this includes personal protective equipment, medical supplies, and armored vehicles. And he all, Blinken also said that the new funding will go toward investigating alleged Russian war crimes. Um, so yeah, that's really just it on this aid. And Blinken, he, he also said on Sunday, he, he did an interview with 60 Minutes, said that the discussions uh, on, you know, what to give Ukraine next when it comes to military aid, they're ongoing. Um, so the next one, this is, I don't know, goodish news or the best thing we could, I don't know, the, the best thing we could call good news today. Uh, Russia says that it has had sporadic contacts with the U.S. on nuclear weapons. So Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov, he said on Monday that the U.S. and Russia have had sporadic contact over the issue of nuclear arms as tensions are soaring between the world's largest nuclear armed powers. Peskov said, quote, there are channels for dialogue at the proper level, but they are of a very sporadic nature. At least they allow for the exchange of some emergency messages about each other's positions, end quote. So he's kind of confirming what Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, and Blinken also said over the weekend that they have been in talks about this issue of of nuclear weapons, of, of the possibility of them being used. I mean, it's just crazy that it's gotten to this point that they're having these conversations. Um, so again, this comes after Putin's warning last week that they would use nukes to defend 
Russia's territorial integrity, that they could, that it's a possibility. Um, and on Sunday, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, he said that the U.S. warned Russia it would face catastrophic consequences if it used a nuclear weapon in Ukraine. Sullivan would not explain what that means. You know, he didn't detail exactly what the U.S. response would be, but he said that the U.S. spelled it out in detail to Russia on how it would respond in these kind of back-channel talks that seem to be going on. And when asked if Russia had received such a message from the U.S., Peskov declined to comment. So he wouldn't say exactly what the U.S. told him. Um, but I think, I guess, uh, at least there there is some some communication going on. But since Russia invaded Ukraine back in February, there have been virtually no public high-level meetings between U.S. and Russian officials. Antony Blinken spoke with his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, in July, but the conversation was focused on a potential prisoner swap. And that's the only time that we know of that they've even uh, talked throughout this whole war. He's supposed to be America's top diplomat. And here we are standing on the edge of potential nuclear war. You know, I don't want to be too alarmist here, but I mean, it's getting to that point where they're sort of trading nuclear threats. And uh, that is pretty uh, worrying. Um, okay. So the next one, at the UN General Assembly, Syria calls for the U.S. to end its military occupation. So on Monday, Syria's foreign minister addressed the UN General Assembly in New York and called on the U.S. to end its occupation of Syria, of eastern Syria. The U.S. currently has about 900 troops stationed in that region and backs the Kurdish forces there. And that allows the U.S. to control about one third of Syria's territory. It's a pretty significant chunk of eastern Syria uh, that the U.S. has bases uh, kind of pretty far apart from each other, you know, kind of all over that that area. And it's where most of Syria's oil and wheat resources are located. Officially, the U.S. maintains that its presence in the country is about fighting ISIS, but the Syrian government rejects that notion. Syrian Foreign Minister Faisal Mekdad he said at UN headquarters, quote, fighting terrorism does not happen through an illegitimate international coalition that violates serious sovereignty and destroys towns and villages, end quote. So on top of the occupation, the U.S. also maintains crippling economic sanctions on Syria. And uh, Blinken has previously said, I mean, it's unbelievable some of the things that these people actually say, said that U.S. sanctions are meant to... Uh, prevent the reconstruction of Syria. They're meant to prevent Syria from rebuilding after years of, of brutal war. He said that it's U.S. policy to oppose the reconstruction of Syria. He said this back in October 2021. So this was almost a year ago, but nothing has changed. And he says this, that these sanctions are going to remain until there is a political settlement in Syria, which means regime change. That's still, you know, there's not a chance really that Assad uh, will be overthrown. He, he's that's not going to happen, but that still is U.S. policy on paper. So Mektad, uh, he discussed the sanctions on Syria, saying that the country has been economically besieged by Western powers. He said, "Quote: The war against Syria ultimately was an attempt by the West to maintain control over the world." End quote. So the situation in eastern Syria and this address at the UN General Assembly, it really highlights the hypocrisy of the U.S. and President Biden, because during his address to the General Assembly last week, 
it was focused on, uh, you know, condemning Russia for invading Ukraine. And the wording that he used was that they, they violated the UN charter by taking Ukraine's territory. And here we have the U.S. having a military presence in Syria against the will of the government there, you know, completely disrespecting their so sovereignty. And, um, you know, besides that, well, let me read the quote from what Biden said last week, which I did go over last week, but I want to read it again. He said, quote, Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter no more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force, end quote. So he included neighbor in there, maybe, you know, to say that, hey, we're not occupying uh, our neighbor's territory, but the U.S., you know, is supporting uh, the Saudi war on Yemen, the brutal war there. Uh, that's a war against their neighbor. Um, so, I mean, it's just, this is part of the reason why I think much of the world has not followed along the U.S. and NATO, um, the U.S. and the EU when it comes to sanctions and stuff, because they just see this hypocrisy. And, um, you know, African countries and India and China and Brazil, all those uh, major countries that are not following along. Um, just want to take a moment to mention our sponsor, How the West Brought War to Ukraine. It's a great book by Benjamin Oblo that outlines the steps the U.S. and NATO and other Western powers, you know, took after the Cold War to make Russia an enemy. And, and these steps led to the current war that we're seeing today. And um, I just want to read what Richard Sakwa has to say about this book. He is a professor of Russian and European and European politics at the University of Kent, and he's written tons of books on Russia. Um, he calls the book a concise yet comprehensive and accessible overview, invaluable for understanding how war once again came to Europe. Benjamin Oblo demonstrates that the crisis in Ukraine was predictable, predicted, and avoidable. So the book, How the West Brought War to Ukraine, short read, 60 to 70 pages, really just a great refresher. You know, if you've been following this stuff, even if you've been following this stuff for years, this really uh, is a good refresher and great analysis. Um, it's only $10 to buy the hard copy, but if that's too much, you can purchase the ebook, the Kindle version for only 99 cents. It's the lowest amount Benjamin uh, could sell it for. So he's trying to get this message out. If you buy a copy, it helps us out. It helps him out and it helps, you know, spread uh, really important information that uh, more Americans specifically uh, need to learn. Um, but Anyway, back to the news here. Uh, we got another one about Syria. And this is related to everything I was just talking about. This is from The Cradle, uh, which is a pretty good outlet on um, this region of the world. Uh, they say a new convoy of looted oil smuggled out of Syria by the U.S. Army. So this is according to Sana'a, the Syrian uh, state news outlet. They're saying that U.S. occupation forces on the 25th of September smuggled 79 tankers loaded with Syrian oil from the fields of the Jazeera region to Iraq. Um, so this is what, uh, there's reports about this all the time, that they're, the U.S. military is actually smuggling oil out of this region to bring to Iraq, and who knows where it goes from there. But it's really... Um, the numbers that the Syrian government and is putting out, it sounds like it's a lot. 
uh, of oil that has been moved by the U.S. military. So um, Damascus considers the oil theft campaign part of the larger violations by the U.S. of international law as the plundering of the nation's natural resources worsen an already dire hunger crisis. And that's a good point. I should have included, uh, you know, the numbers that the U.N. have put out of the people facing food shortages and stuff inside Syria because of the war and then the, the, now the economic war against uh you know syrian government controlled territories are really uh frightening um uh and this says last week the u.s military smuggled a convoy of 60 oil tankers filled with crude oil from syria's occupied regions to military bases in iraq um so yeah this is just an example of really what the u.s presence is about and you know when Trump was in office, when he he failed, he he tried, or at least he said he was going to try to pull out of Syria two times, and and he reversed it. But the one time, I think it was in 2019, he said, ah, you know what? I decided to stay. Um, I'm going to stay to secure the oil, because I think you know he had hawks in his administration say, hey, look, you see this map? You see all these oil fields? If we leave, you know who's going to get them? Probably they probably told him Iran or or something. Um, and then he just said, yeah, we're going to stay to secure the oil. Um, so that's what it's what it's about. All right, the next one, this is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. Russia announces citizenship for whistleblower Edward Snowden. Heroic whistleblower Edward Snowden was granted Russian citizenship on Monday. Kyle explains Snowden uh, leaked all of the documents from the National Security Agency, from the NSA, that proved all of this massive surveillance on uh, U.S. citizens and people around the world, too. Um, so a good point that Kyle makes here that a lot of people don't know, don't understand, is that Snowden, after he leaked these documents to Glenn Greenwald, he transferred, um, he was in Hong Kong, they met in Hong Kong, and after leaving Hong Kong, the Obama administration pulled Snowden's visa. So when he landed in Moscow, you know, he was landing in Moscow on his way. His plan was to go to Latin America. I believe Ecuador. I'm not sure if that's right. Kyle says Latin America. Um, so they pulled his visa so then he couldn't travel. And then Russia gave him asylum. And now explaining uh, what the citizenship would offer for him, Snowden wrote on Twitter, quote, after years of separation from our parents, my wife and I have no desire to be separated from our sons. After two years of waiting and nearly 10 years of exile, a little stability will make a difference for my family. I pray for privacy for them and for us all, end quote. So what he's saying there is that, you know, their sons were born in Russia. So I guess they're probably, I'm just uh, kind of surmising from what his tweet said. I'm guessing, you know, they were born in Russia so they're Russian citizens. So he wanted to get the citizenship to make sure he wouldn't one day just be, you know, kicked deported or something kicked out. Um, all right. And then the next one, you know, speaking of whistleblowers, you know, Julian, this is about Julian Assange, who was not a whistleblower, which is important. It's an important distinction. He was a publisher, a journalist. He received uh, documents from a whistleblower from many, but most importantly, Chelsea Manning, because that's what the U.S. government is trying to jail him for. But he's a journalist, published this, these documents in one of the purest forms of journalism that there is, just publishing this big dump of documents for people to just look through and figure things out. Um, 
But uh, this is a poll. This is from the dissenter. This is Kevin Gostola's uh, uh, website, and he's a great journalist that covers Assange really well and whistleblower stuff in general. But this poll says that most American and British adults know nothing about the files that Assange is charged with publishing. And this is according to a poll by Morning Consult. Um, let's see here. Both populations are apathetic or unaware when it comes to whether Assange should be extradited and face a U.S. trial. In fact, nearly half of U.S. adults polled said they had never heard of Assange. The lack of awareness of Assange in the case against him is likely why only a minority in the U.S. and the United Kingdom support the product, support the prosecution. Meanwhile, in Australia, almost half of adults said Assange should not be extradited from the UK to the US and that he should be released. Um, that reflects how the case has become a significant political issue in the country during the past year. So Assange is Australian. That's one of the most egregious things about the case is that, you know, the US is using its long arm to try to uh, get this foreign citizen, this Australian extradited for doing journalism that revealed US war crimes to put him away from in, in jail for life. So not only would his prosecution have a major implication for the freedom of the press in the U.S., it would have it's a major implication for the freedom of the press around the world if the U.S. can just grab journalists from foreign countries and put them away for life. Um, so if you go down further in this article, I, I would suggest you guys should check this out. It's on the dissenter.org. Um, it just shows some of the numbers. Uh, and this is uh, the question that was asked for this graph is uh, if WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange was right to make the public aware how U.S. government policies and actions such as surveillance of American citizens. In Australia, 52% said he was right. But look at the U.S., 42% said he was right. Only 42%. 24% said he was wrong. 34% don't know or don't have an opinion. In the U.K., only 38% the people said he was right. And Spain, slightly higher in Spain, Italy, Germany, 60% of people say he was right. But it's all these other countries where uh, the people seem to support him more. But in the US and the UK, the two governments that are, you know, he's currently being tortured in Belmarsh Prison in London, the two countries that are doing this to him, its citizens uh, don't seem to really uh, care very much or are just aren't aware. And that's just an example of how all this propaganda against Assange, you know, this case should be one of the biggest stories being reported on all the time. And I should talk about it more. Um, so it's just concerning. But speaking of Assange, October 8th at the uh, Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., it's going to be a big rally for him. It's going to coincide with a rally in London around the British Parliament. And there's going to be other rallies across the country, across the U.S., across the world. And uh, I'm going to try to see if I could find more information, um, you know, about different cities. I know Kyle Anzalone, he's our opinion editor. Editor, He said that he's speaking at an Assange rally in Denver. So uh, there are going to be other ones around the country if you can't make it to D.C. Um, but the last news story here, the Iran and the IAEA are still at odds over uranium traces inquiry. The International Atomic Energy Agency, that's the UN's nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, um, they opened this inquiry, this investigation into traces of uranium at undeclared nuclear sites in Iran years ago. 
and they haven't been happy with Iran's uh, explanations. I mean, there's not really a proliferation risk. It doesn't seem like there's one at all, but they're still just set on keeping this investigation open. And Rafael Grossi, he is the head of the IAEA. He said that the investigation is not going away. And then uh, Iran's nuclear chief, Mohammed Eslami, he dismissed Grossi's concerns. And he said that the IAEA inquiry was based on false information. He said that they're relying on false, baseless information. And he also suggested that the IAEA's investigation was based on evidence planted by Israel. He said, quote, there are no undeclared nuclear activities or material in Iran. All accusations are merely based on fake and incorrect information provided by the usurping regime of Israel, end quote. So then on Sunday, Iran's foreign minister said similar things, but also just sounded more, you know, diplomatic in what he had to say. Really, he was saying that Iran's ready to work with the IAEA, but they need to behave technically as he put it, rather than politically, which the IAEA is highly politicized on this issue. Um, but he said, quote, the agency has questions about three alleged sites that they say they have found uranium, and we are ready to provide answers to those questions, end quote. Um, so Iranian officials have said that they need this investigation to be dropped before the nuclear deal is revived. Right now, an agreement seems very unlikely. The U.S. has accused Iran of not taking the negotiations seriously. The talks have stalled, and the U.S. has continued to increase sanctions on Iran. Um, so, but yeah, that's it. That's it for the news for today. We have a lot of good uh, viewpoints, as always, including a good one from John Walsh, just about how the Democrats are right now the leading uh, party of war, and it kind of goes over a lot of the uh, kind of depressing things that have happened over the past few months, a lot of how a lot of the progressives in Congress, um, all of them have voted to send all this money and, and to support this war in Ukraine, which is pretty disappointing, I must say. Um, but that's it for me for today. Um, you can contact the show news at antiwar.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, message me there if you want to talk, um, you know, uh, I'm easy to find. And uh, if you want to support the show, antiwar.com slash donate. Uh, but that's it. I'll catch you guys tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.